This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Saints podcast. We're the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. And with well over a hundred combined years of joy, despair, hope and frustration watching and supporting Saints, we feel well placed to opinionate on the ongoing roller coaster is Southampton FC. The guys as ever are here with me, Lucy, Steve and Glenn. Evening everyone, how are you uh, all doing? How's your week's been? Evening. Well, good weekend apart from the the rude interruption of the uh, two hours at the hideous dildo dome. <laughs> the most important thing, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good. Glenn, Lucy, you both all right? Yes, I had a very quiet weekend. My other half was on a stag do, so right. I uh, went to my parents where my brother and my father and I just ranted about saints, basically. Yeah. Whereabouts has he gone for the stag do, most importantly? He went back down to Southampton, actually. Oh, did he? Oh, right. Yeah. There you go. That's good. That sounds as exciting as mine. I went to Swindon for mine, which I, I can probably talk about in another pod, but there we go. Uh, and Glenn, you all right? I'm absolutely splendid. Yeah. I spent the weekend in uh, in glorious Southampton and didn't really do much. Um, my son's football was called off and Saints were called off on Saturday. Well, they didn't turn up. <laughs> no, they didn't. Two. They didn't. And it was your daughter's 21st as well, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'm, a, I'm officially old. <laughs> um, I mean, there's, there's, there's things that come along all the time that tell you how old you are and one of your kids turning 21 is, is is certainly one of those <laughs> there we go well that leads me nicely on to my next question because uh, I was going to say someone who's had a, a good week is uh, obviously Laurie McMenemy who was finally confirmed as a club ambassador on Friday following Francis Benali and Matt Letizia Glenn I thought it very appropriate as our oldest member of the panel someone who can actually remember <laughs> him you even mentioned that I think that you know watching the 76 cup final so I was just going to briefly reflect on that before we get going uh, a good move by the club if not before time showing sort of gratitude I guess to someone who's done so much for Saints and, and the city I guess over so many years i must admit i i assumed he was a club ambassador already i must mm. admit so when the the actual announcement took me a little bit by surprise but 100 percent 
he deserves it. I mean, he's the only one that's won a, a proper cup competition for us. And I was very young when the, the cup win actually happened, but I, I very young. No, I was about, I don't know what I was about eight, but I do remember the, how exciting it was when we were challenging at the top of the league regularly, you know, we had the, the Keegan thing. And then after that, we had, you know, finishing second in the league and, and regularly being up near the top, playing some amazing football on the way. And that was, you know, that was down to him. He was mm. a, he's a massive personality and he was a brilliant manager for the club. Chris Nickel did okay, but it went a bit pear shaped after Laurie left. And he's just still this, this great personality though. He's, he's obviously knocking on a bit now. I don't mm. know how old he is, about mm. 83, 84, something like that. Um, He's one of these guys that when he talks, I listen. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's someone whose opinion I always, uh, I, I always listen out for and, and, and value. And it, it is a thoroughly deserved thing for what he did for the club and the city. Indeed, Glenn. You're spot on, by the way. He's 83, so well done. Um, sadly, someone who hasn't had such a good week is uh, Musa Gineppo, who unfortunately lost his mum. So obviously, we'd just briefly like to send our best wishes to Musa and his family. OK, moving on to this week's episode. It's undoubtedly bursting at the seams. Firstly, the four of us will review Saints' latest game, the 3-1 loss up at West Ham United this weekend. After that, Robbie Reed, the man behind saintsworld.co.uk, will join us to talk about a new Saints World offering and also a rather choppy trip across the channel a couple of weekends back. If Robbie is the starter then this week's main course is truly a fine dining experience it's total recall with will Dahl for saints archive and features in my opinion the greatest ever player to wear the saints number seven shirt unsurprisingly it's not andre kinchowskis but instead the legend that is le god matthew letizier yes matt joins us to talk alan ball ronnie eckland his favorite non-famous goal and of course those last moments at the dell stay tuned for that to wrap it all up we'll preview the visit of newcastle to st mary's next weekend so let's get going in partnership with saintsworld.co.uk and saintsarchive.com and sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk, complete with a brand new jingle for March. This is TSP 104. OK, it's March. What Happy Hot Tub offer can we come up with for our lucky customers this month? Well, we could do nothing for a change. I like it. I think we do so many deals. Nothing. No deposit, no interest, nothing. Well, no, no, I mean... It's perfect. Through March, you can buy any hot tub from Happy Hot Tubs with no deposit and three years interest-free finance. You deserve happy at happyhottubs.co.uk. Excludes free flow range. See website for details. That poor free flow range is always left out. Anyway, this weekend saw Saints travel up to the London Stadium, taking on David Moyes' West Ham United. The game, which was Saints 800th in the Premier League, eventually finishing 3-1 to West Ham. Thank goodness the 29th of February only comes around every four years. Steve, you were there. Shall we file that one under a bad day at the office? It was absolute garbage, wasn't it? Um, I mean, I don't know what it is about us playing against West Ham that just makes us lose our minds. We seem to kind of second-guess ourselves, and West Ham have clearly worked out how to play against us Mm. because they don't play this way against anybody else. Um, I don't think Haller and Antonio have played as a front two against anybody else all season, apart from the reverse game um, the week before Christmas, where they obviously both tore us to pieces then as well. And we've not learned anything. It seems as if, by the sound of it, from Ralph's post-match interview, they worked on the defensive shape against these two all week in training. And then, I mean, we turn up on Saturday and they've taken none of it in. Mm. Um, I mean, it's not just on the defence, it's on everybody, really, because... Um, we weren't pressing from the front. There just seemed to be a, this sort of weird lethargy to us. Mm. Yeah. That we weren't 
We weren't quite at the races. And I think a team of our standing at the moment, if we're not at the races, then we look really, really bad. Yeah. When we're on it, we're a match for most teams in this league. Um, even the top sides, we can give them a game. You still need pieces to fall into place for you, but you can, you can do something against them. But if you if you turn up and you play at sort of probably barely 60% pace mm. compared to the way that we've been playing in the last couple of months or so, um, even against a side as out of form as West Ham have been, teams in the top flight are going to take advantage, and, and they certainly did that. Yeah, when I was a youngster, it used to be Everton that was our bogey ground. I think it's West Ham well, these days, is. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it still is. But yeah, West Ham, three Premier League wins in their last 14 games. And of course, two of those are against us, which is uh, brilliant. But uh, Lucy, look, I mean, Adam used to talk a lot about mental frailty within this squad. As Steve rightly said there, Ralph said after the game they'd been working all week on that, but, you know, did call our defending quote a joke. Um, do you think it is the mental side of things with some of these players that they can't take out onto the sort of real life scenario what they've been working on in training or do you just think too many of them had a bad day as I say? I think it's a strange one. I'd say since Hasenhutl came in, actually in some respects we've improved mentally, but I still think we have a problem when we play kind of sides that are prepared to be quite physical and quite aggressive yep. we have a problem with how to deal with that I'd say normally against the average team in the league we are now capable of being quite snappy quite aggressive quite in your face but if we kind of come across a team which we think or which you kind of consider better at being that kind of aggressive physical side we tend to kind of retreat into ourselves a little bit yep. and become that passive side which as um, Steve was saying, makes us look really quite bad. Um, and I think not only did we not learn from the, the last time we played West Ham, which again probably points to that mental issue, mm. I'd say that the way we were set up tactically contributed to looking even worse, actually. And I think it was an incredibly big ask for the likes of Smallbone mm. to come into what is intense situation and we knew let's be honest that West Ham would go at us because they're in a situation where they need results quite badly I think it was pretty tough to say go into that scenario where we might not necessarily have the ball all the time and in which they'll be looking to counter on us quickly um, to put small bone in that situation um, and I think there were a couple of other little things that I thought mm, that's not going to help us um, so as much as there are these mental problems and when we play against two up front, I think that's a particular problem. Um, I do think there were tactical issues that contributed to it combined with all the other problems. Yeah, and that's five defeats out of five now, if you consider Newcastle, Burnley and West Ham as probably the most direct sides. Of course, we'll come on to talk about the Newcastle game next week, Glenn. But I think letting soft goals in is one thing. It's, it's important not to get too high when you win and too low when you lose, of course. But not fighting, not battling, that sort of thing, being you know out fought, so to speak, is another thing. Well, all, all three of the goals were ridiculous, weren't mm, they? I mean, yeah. it, they were yeah. all preventable. Um, you know, the first one, Ward-Prowse doesn't clear the ball. You know, I don't know if he's trying to clear it or chip it into a midfielder. Either way, he gave it straight to Declan Rice. One easy pass, Bednarek's asleep, goal. Yeah. Second goal with McCarthy. I don't know, I remember taking my kids to the beach where I dug two holes, put their feet in and then filled the hole in, you know, with sand over <laughs> yeah. the top of their feet so they couldn't move. It was all very funny, but when a professional goalkeeper does it, it it's not terribly clever. <laughs> I, I don't know what on earth he was doing. It was just so casual, um, wasn't it? I mean, even after yeah. he'd lost the challenge, he sort of just seemed to give up, whereas Haller obviously didn't, but it was just a shambles, yeah. Don't get me started. I mean, this points to Steve's point about us not really being up for it. Mm. Um, 
we're too nice. It was like we weren't bothered. Um, when Cresswell smashed Armstrong with his elbow in the first minute, mm. we should have been all round the referee going, what on earth is that about? Mm. And looking to get him carded. I know that's not a nice way to play. But you're that's, such a cynic, Glenn. If, everyone yeah, else does it. But that's, <laughs> yeah, how, you, totally, that's yeah. how you yeah. play. If you're really up for a game, that's what you do. You're mm. on the referee from the first minute, especially when something, an elbow goes in like that. And I thought the same about the McCarthy thing. Okay, it's not a foul. I'm not no, saying no, in no. any way, shape or form it's a not foul. A foul. No but get around the referee and at least make him think it might have been. Mm. But McCarthy's attitude after the ball hit the net, it was just like, oh, well, there you go. Let's mm. go back to the middle and kick off again. It's like, <laughs> you know, if you're letting a rubbish goal like that as a goalkeeper, you go nuts. You're blaming your defenders. You're blaming the referees, even if you know that it's you that's made the mistake. Mm. And he just seemed to accept it. And the third goal was, was an under 12 goal. Yeah. Long ball, missed the header, ball over the top. Bednarek stood there with his mouth open and, and Antonio just runs behind him and scores. It's just, and it doesn't matter what formations you play or mm. what you tell them before the game. If you if you don't win your individual battles and and don't do the basics, you're going to lose no matter what. And mm. it, and it it was just it was just appalling um, defensively, and it was the same as you know Ralph is all about what did he say when we started we win or we learn. No, That's we right. didn't. We didn't. We no, didn't. We didn't. You know, the last game against West Ham, the games against Burnley. Ball goes up to the big guys, gets knocked down mm. into the midfield, and we've got no one there because we've picked a 19-year-old and thrown him under a bus. Yeah. It's not not his game. Romeo had to play. That's mm. he picks up the balls that come down off the central defenders or off the attackers, but he wasn't there. And ironically, we looked better when Vestergaard came on, mm. and we actually played three at the back because we started to win some headers. And if we didn't, there was a spare man to pick up the ball. But you know, it's too little, too late. Um, and I think Ralph blaming, you know, just blaming the defending. I think he's being a little bit disingenuous there because he, he didn't have a good day himself. No, and he didn't. There's, he there's didn't. no way he can he can sort of like hide that by, you know, calling out a couple of players. Okay, McCarthy's mistake is horrendous, but it was grim all round. Yeah, I think collectively, as you say, it wasn't a, a great day. But yeah, I played in goal for 20 years. I made a uh, career out of uh, catches like that. But uh, <laughs> there we go. Um, Steve, look, we spoke last week, didn't we, about whether Smallbone would play, whether Prowse would be right back. Um, of course, you know, as Dan Sheldon alluded to, um, Danny Ings had only trained on the Friday, hence why he was on the bench. But he was also on the bench with two right backs. Um, of course, Obafemi started as well. So, you know, just before the game kicked off, what were you sort of thinking about the lineup? That Ralph had it right or were you sort of concerned before we'd even kicked the ball? I was a bit baffled, to be honest. I mean, if you've got two right backs who are fit and available, why would you not put one of them in there and put your best central midfielder in central midfield? Mm. Um, War Prowse is, is probably, I mean, he's not going to win player of the year because Danny Ings will win it, yep. but those two will be so far ahead of everybody else yep. this season. And yet we're now hampering ourselves by playing him at right back where I mean, sometimes he's going to get torn to pieces because he's not a right back. Mm. Um, I mean, yes, he's got the he's got the intelligence and the and the attitude to shackle the likes of Zahar and and Grealish, but you're not going to be able to do it every week. That's mm. not a realistic proposition. And West Ham don't play down the flanks really anyway. So why Ralph felt the need to stick with War Prowse at right back. I mean, Smallbone, I actually thought was, to be honest, he was the better of the two central midfielders because Hoiberg had an absolute shocker. Mm, yeah. um, his pass completion rate must have been way below 50% yeah. for yesterday. I mean, he was just absolutely dreadful. But in that situation, I was surprised Smallbone played because of basically what we discussed last week. That mm, mm. It's one of those games where 
a young midfielder making his way in the game is going to get bullied in that scenario. Yeah. And you need you need all the experience and know-how that you can get in in those sort of games. Um, I mean, assuming Walker Peters is fit to play at some point, why didn't he start? Mm. And then and then if if it comes to an hour and he's and he's flagging, then yeah, okay, maybe you you then look at look at switching it around from then. But start with what's best. Ings not starting, I've got no issue with that. If he's not trained all week yep. or he's only done a light session on Friday, then fine, no problem. Um, Obafemi and, and Long have shown that they can play together, and in previous games they've played together, they've they've looked quite good as the high pressing up, up front. But we didn't really seem to do that an awful lot yesterday. I mean, I don't know whether a fair amount of that is probably that West Ham are quite happy for us to have the ball. Mm. So as soon as they got the ball, it was like, right, let's get it forward. If it ends up coming back at us, then fine, we've got men in numbers and we know that we've got the pace and power on the break um, to cause them issues. But yeah, it just seemed that Long wasn't quite there. Obafemi, I mean, he scored the goal, although not seeing the video back, but from our end, it looked like he completely shinned it. And it's just looped up over the keeper into the far corner. Someone sent me a message uh, about five minutes afterwards. They, they were watching on Soccer Saturday and said that Paul Merson basically simultaneously described it as the best and the worst goal at the same time, <laughs> um, which is quite impressive. Yeah. I mean, Obafemi didn't really get involved an awful lot. Buffal was okay in dispatches, but you you know what you're going to get from him in, in a game like this, where he's going to sort of flitter in and out of the game. And the problem was that when you're then looking to make a change and bring Ings on, Buffal is always going to be the guy you're going to pick to sacrifice. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, a lot to disregard, if you like. And you kind of think, right, OK, draw a line under it and go again on Monday. But it's going to be more of the same next week, I think. It is. Um, Lucy, I think that sort of leads on to a nice question, really, in that I was going to sort of say, from a Saints point of view, do you think for Ralph and the players this might be the wake-up call that we need with 10 games to go, that, you know, if they are thinking about flip-flops and sun cream, that the likes of Bournemouth, Watford, Norwich, West Ham, all winning down there, seven points ahead of the relegation zone, you know, they need to sort of, as Steve says, butt their uh, trends up ahead of Monday and get on with it. Yeah, there was maybe a suspicion that people thought we'd done enough by this point and we'd find the few points that were probably needed Mm. um, between now and then. I think Ralph was quite open after the game in saying, if you think we're safe, you know, that's a real worry Mm. because we're we're not. Um, I think we've seen this weekend, actually, that, you know, with Norwich being Leicester, I don't think Norwich will get themselves out of it, but there is the quality down the bottom of the table for, for people to get points, Bournemouth a point at Chelsea and all that kind of stuff. So I think we have to be aware that the job isn't done. The job is nearly done, I think, mm. um, but we need to get a couple of wins to, to make sure of it. And the sooner they can do that, probably the less critical we will be um, as an audience uh, because it all becomes a little less fraught. Um, and I think also you can start then to start thinking about next season and mm we might see more of youth players or more kind of experimentation um, in terms of Ralph working out what he needs to do with his squad. Cause he's been quite open about the fact that this squad is going to take a little bit of changing around. Um, and if Hoybier's change of agent this week has anything to uh, go by, then maybe we might see a few outs that we would don't expect as well. So I think, Yes, there's been a bit of a wake-up call. Um, we definitely haven't quite made it. I'm still fairly confident we will do it, um, yeah. but this is probably quite a healthy thing to have at this stage of the season, just to keep people with their feet on the ground and aware of the reason we got into such a, a problem in the first place, really. Right, let's get on to something a little more enjoyable.
Okay, Lucy, Steve and Glenn have gone to get half-time oranges, and I'm delighted to be joined in the meantime by the man, sorry, legend, behind saintsworld.co.uk, Robbie, at Edit Southampton on Twitter. Robbie, good to catch up again, mate. How's things? Evening, Ben. Yeah, very well, thank you. Safely home after a trip to the UK, and um, missing it dreadfully already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, as you mentioned, just back from a, a road trip. So we were just talking there, what was it, about 10 days over in Southampton and, uh, you know, mixing with some friends and watching Saints as well, which we'll come on to in a minute. Yeah, that was basically the plan. We, we came over um, 10 days in the UK, um, met up with as many friends as possible. A lot of friends didn't get to see. Time is obviously very rushed when we're there. But mm. yeah, it was really good fun. Met some friends, saw a couple of games. Yeah, wonderful. Really yeah. enjoyable. Good, good. And uh, obviously, uh, I think we were well aware that you were travelling across mid-Storm Dennis, so it wasn't too choppy on the way over. The trip over was fun, let's put it that <laughs> way. Like I said, uh, little Emily Louise, like she, she can literally get seasick in a bath. So yeah. she was um, taking her seasickness and travel sickness pills and, uh, <laughs> yeah. She was glad to get off the boat, let's put it that way. <laughs> and uh, I, I won't necessarily go into the reasons behind it, but uh, yeah, you got a chance to meet up with, what was it, Messrs, BT, Benali and Letizia as well, is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had really good meetings and chats with them all, and everything on that one will become clear in the next few weeks, Ben. Let's, let's ah, put that good, on that good. Well, It sounds exciting, so excellent. And, uh, yeah, I mean, more importantly, I know you got to see both the Burnley and the Villa game, so obviously... Uh, Probably chalk and cheese the two of them, but in general then, Robbie, before we get on to talking about Saints World, what did you make of uh, the football, the results, etc.? Right, I'll be so honest. Burnley, I have never in my life been so cold at a football match. (laughs) Um, I can remember being in the Archers Road and with snow coming over the Milton Road, coming down the pitch, and even then it wasn't as cold as that. (laughs) So to be honest with you, spent uh, most of the match with my coat around Emily's yeah. and um, looking through the rain. But, um, yeah, that was, a, excuse the pun, but quite a drab affair. I think mm. uh, an awful start for us. I mean, it, you can't allow for things like that happening. They just do. Yeah. So to go the, the goal down, um, it was just an off day. Mm. We, we as Saints fans, we're used to that, especially as we're at home. I think if we look at the league table for home and away form, I mean, it, it's chalk and cheese. Yeah. Um, obviously a lot of uh, supposition from a lot of different greatly qualified people as to why that is but yeah it was not the best of days freezing cold, soaking wet and uh, the football wasn't great but Burnley are a very dogged team I mean uh, they're northern, they're used to the weather I think there was something about the programme notes that sort of (laughs) stirred them up a little bit and moving on to Villa then obviously that was uh, a lot more exciting yeah, much, much better game to watch. I mean, it, we, we were playing some good football. I think um, at the end of the first 45, I was basically thinking, we should be four up. Is this going to be the story of our form this year? Yeah. Or, you know. But um, now I think the substitutions were made at the right time. Everything was done right that game. Yeah. And like I say, the goal at the death, I mean, to see Armstrong make, I mean, great pass from... Adams yeah. and the run by Armstrong I mean especially I think it was like 94th minute or something yeah, yeah. it was incredible it, mm. the the energy the guy had after that amount of running yeah. was superb and more importantly then Robbie I was just going to say for the rest of your life one thing you'll be able to say that I can never say is that you've seen Shane Long score with his knackers yeah I've been on Twitter and there's been a few puns and jokes but uh, yeah I must admit we've been quite lucky because 
we, we make relatively few trips over. It's February is always the main trip because it's Emily's birthday. She's Southampton FC mad, so we always come out for that's her birthday treat. Yeah, can't um, imagine where she I gets think, that from, Robbie. I don't know. I think uh. she must listen to all these podcasts. I reckon. <laughs> I think that's where that's from. But um, yeah, I remember we came over. We had the West Ham game where. Gabby Adini scored his first goal and she saw that. I mean, I think they scored four afterwards, but she's so pragmatic for her age. I mean, basically, when we lost the Burnley game, we're walking out and said, you're not going to be moody for the rest of the week, are you, Dad? Someone has to win. And I'm like, no, it's it's such a leveller. She really, I mean, mean, she's just 12 now, but no, it's fantastic because she's... um, got this pragmatism about it and, and it's so mature it makes me so cross because <laughs> i wanted to be throwing things around the bedroom and, and throwing things at the telly but she's like someone has to win where be fine daddy yeah well i'm glad you got to see a win that was the most important thing and uh, yeah obviously uh, you know good to go home uh, happy but uh, moving on then um one of the key points of getting you on again this uh, episode is to have a chat about your new saints world related group on facebook robbie so tell us a, a little bit about it how you know the idea for it came along and what it's going to offer people if they want to follow it as you know we've got the website um saintsworld.co.uk and um, when it, that idea came up it mm. was basically because I wanted somewhere where people could chat and people can feel free to post things for charitable reasons, every, everything like that. The Saints world as a whole yep. was set up to give people the opportunity to promote anything charitably related. It's for Saints fans. We try to make it as family orientated as possible. It's a members only group. Yep. Like I say, that's only because there's a set of rules that come up where we just advise people what we'd like we've not had to bar anyone i mean we've been going two and a half weeks now i think we're just over 700 members and we really push we push for the ladies to post without fear of ridicule um we've all seen on twitter we've seen like you know oh obviously um they didn't like that because i'm a woman and and Mm. we're we're not for any of that whatsoever so yeah we set the group up we've made it as clear as possible to everyone they can promote all their charities, all their functions. And we're trying to be a little bit different. We don't just want it to be a chat room. We want to provide a reason for people to enter competitions and enjoy it. I mean, we it's very much admin-led at the moment because it's so new. Sure. Um, but hopefully we've had quite a few people that have made posts, uh, Southampton-related, charity-related, and the responses are, are really good. Hmm from all the people in the group. So, yeah, we're just hoping it's going to go from strength to strength. We're very lucky that uh, Stephen Lewis from VHO has mm-hmm. continued his role as main sponsor. Yeah. But it sounds really strange to say Saints World Media, but it's easier to say that because it encompasses all the different platforms that we're on. Sure. Um, and I need to give a special thank you to Michelle Bradbury because she... Mm-hmm. That's been instrumental in helping me set the group up. She's got many years' experience with other groups. Yeah. And she's main admin with myself, and she has been absolutely incredible. Yeah. Her experience has helped us get it absolutely spot on, and it seems to be going very well. And we're even getting people like, we're getting a lot of ex-pros joining now. Yeah. You know, um, I think yesterday Jimmy Case came on. Um, Danny Wallace. Danny Wallace. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I think he joined us yesterday. We've got Steve Morrell. All the old proper, what we call the old pros are coming on. And it's, um, yeah, it's really good to see. So it's just a case now of getting the people to know that they can post 
anything that they want to post reference to functions and charities they're working on. And uh, yeah, that, that's the way we want to grow. Brilliant. And uh, look, just finally then, Robbie, how can people find it? I, I know it's on Facebook, obviously, but not being the most technical person in the world myself, how do we search and find for it if we want to become members? Right, the easiest way is if you type in the link, which is www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Saintsworld. And that's it. That will take you straight there. Brilliant. All right. Well, we wish you um, the best of luck with it, Robbie. I'm sure it will be a great success. It's good to hear that it's got off to a, such a strong start. And certainly from all of us uh, at Total Saints Podcast, wish you the best. Um, look, before we let you go, Robbie, there was one last question I had for you. If you had to pick one, who'd be your favourite ever Saints player, Robbie? It's easy to say, oh, this is really difficult. It's not. Uh, for me, it would be Matt Letiz. Putting aside any, any sort of friendship I've got with the guy, basically his passion and pure ability, natural ability, was just incredible. You just witness those goals and you watch the reels of all of his goals and it's just natural. Well, I was hoping you were going to say that, Robbie, because here he is on this week's Total Recall. Yes, it's time for our latest Total Recall with Will Dorr from Saints Archive joining me again. Boy, is it a special one this episode. Having made 540 senior appearances for Saints, scoring 209 club goals, including 47 penalties and 9 hat-tricks, achieving Saints Player of the Year in 1990, 1994 and 1995, as well as the PFA Young Player of the Year in 1990, being awarded the Freedom of the City of Southampton in 2002, and of course, remaining the only ever Premier League player to be subbed by Ali Dyer. Our guest this week is the legend that is Matt Letizier. Matt, massive welcome to this uh, Total Recall. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, looking forward to it. Brilliant. Um, look, we know the majority of Saints fans will already know a lot about your journey with the club, so we're not going to necessarily uh, follow our normal Total Recall chronological pathway and tread over old ground. But instead, what we thought is uh, maybe try a different angle, discussing with you some of the key moments and our favourite memories of your time in the hallowed red and white before going on to ask some listener questions as well. So does that sound OK? Sounds fine by me. Brilliant, Matt. Lovely. Well, look, we know how life at the Dell finished for you, and we will come on to discuss that later. But... Focusing right at the beginning of it, your first senior start with Saints, of course, came as a 17-year-old against Spurs, who you'd supported as a boy and for whom Glenn Hoddle, of course, played your idol. Mm-hmm. Do you sort of look back now, Matt, and think that maybe that was all a recipe for how successful your footballing career would go on to be? Um, I certainly think that was a big, obviously, moment in someone's career when you make your first start in the first team. And um, and I did all right that night. You know, I didn't set the world alight, but I did OK. Um, and I felt like I didn't feel uncomfortable the night, do you know what I mean? I yeah. felt like I had enough ability to play at that level of football, and that was a that was a big thing for me. You know, I I come across from Guernsey. I mean, I didn't know how good the lads were on the mainland, so I obviously had a, a really good season in the youth team the season before. I played a couple of reserve games, but not many. Um, and so to then step up into the first team and to to play against a, a team, you know, like Spurs, you know, had some fantastic players in the side, and and 
not look out of place was a big moment for me and and that evening was obviously the, the evening where i kind of realized yeah I, I i can i can handle this i can i can make an impact at this level okay and your first senior goals have come a couple of months later in the littlewoods cup tie which is what the carabao cup nowadays for all the younger listeners and it came on the 4th of november 1986 at the dell which saw saints win 4-1 You've scored twice, and he slide whilst the referees conferred with his linesman about the offside, and eventually ended <laughs> Ron Atkinson's reign as the Manchester United manager. So quite an eventful set of circumstances there. Uh, it certainly was, yeah. It was uh, obviously a, a big night for me. Um, you know, I'd made a few subs appearances you know, after making my debut. Uh, I started the next game against Forest, and then I was kind of uh, a sub for a few games. And yeah, it was a. I was a bit impatient to get my first goal, um, and obviously it came on a night that uh, that led to, as it turned out to be, uh, quite a huge event in the history of, uh, of Manchester United. Sacking of Ron Atkinson, definitely winning a point, a certain Sir Alex Ferguson um, on the back of that. A lot of football fans will probably not thank me for that, but uh, <laughs> sure, there's some Man United fans would be pretty grateful for <laughs> for Ron being sacked that night uh, or a couple of days later, I think it was. So uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I, re- I remember the goals very well. You know, the first one was a, a, a suspicion of offside, um, but it had come off a, a defender's head for the flick on and not uh, and not Collie Clark's. So I think that was the uh, talking point between the, the ref and the linesman and uh, managed to lob the ball over Chris Turner. And then the second one, which was you know probably unusual, um, given I think it was the only tie, or maybe two, I think. I've only scored two headers from corners <laughs> in my whole career, and one of them came <laughs> in that game. Uh, Jimmy Case took the corner, and I just happened to be at the back post. I don't know, I don't know why. I mean... Heading wasn't a, a, a massive strong point of mine. I mean, it got better as I got older, but it wasn't very. I wasn't very good at that age, and uh, I just got a little bit lucky with the header. And um, yeah, you know, spent the majority of my career taking corners. Uh, I guess it was no surprise I didn't score very often from the header from a corner. As a manager, Matt, you probably realise your time's up if you're scoring from a header, right, from a corner. Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's pretty shocking if your defence is that bad. <laughs> Okay, so you've obviously scored so many memorable goals uh, and magical goals, Matt, throughout your career. By the sounds of, obviously, the way you answered the last question, you do remember one or two quite vividly. But would you say you remember them all vividly when asked about them or not? There's just a couple that are a bit cloudy, a bit vague. And I think it's because there there wasn't really a lot of TV coverage back then. I didn't see them Mm. uh, repeated on the television. So, you know, most of the goals from kind of 1992 onwards were shown all the time and... um, and I and I used to get the the videos of the season uh, that came out at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, so I'd watch those back when I was having a bad time to remind myself that I could score goals. <laughs> uh, so most of my goals I've kind of seen over and over again. Um, however, there was a goal, there were a couple of goals I scored against Hull in the full Members Cup uh, that season. The first season that I scored, I think it was just after the Man United game actually. So I scored a couple of goals there, which are a little bit vague. Um, uh, and bizarrely, I scored a, a hat-trick against Chelsea in the ZDS semi-final, uh, or the Southern Region final, whatever they called it. And I knew one of them was a penalty, but I was struggling to remember the other two. And, and funny enough, I just got given a DVD of that game by somebody who had bizarrely kept a, a copy of it from, from back then, and, uh, uh, and they'd just given it to me. Now, all I have to do now is go buy a DVD player and I can see him again. <laughs> 
there. And uh, look, I mean, I think as Saints fans, Matt, we could sit and watch your goals all day, every day. I mean, I think we've all got the unbelievable video everywhere, you know, and all those sorts of <laughs> things. But look, I mean, I know you've done millions of interviews about your goals. We know about your top tens. We know about the goal against Tim and all that sort of thing. But yeah. we thought of a different spin on the interview. So is there a particular goal that you often look back on fondly that maybe for whatever reason rarely gets talked about when you do interviews or, you know, isn't in your top ten? Uh, yeah, there, there's one that hardly ever gets shown, uh, and I think it was because it was on. I think it was because it was on ITV. Uh, so it was a League Cup game uh, at Barnsley, and ball got played to me about 30 yards out. I flicked it over the defender's head, uh, ran around the other side of him, and hit a volley from nearly 30 yards, yeah. which hit the underside of the crossbar and, and went in the goal. Um, and it was a pretty pretty spectacular goal one I was really chuffed with and um, yeah it's hardly ever you ask people about it and they would have no recollection of it but it's a goal that I was very proud of but it was it was just like in the league cup and never really got shown on the telly I think you can find it if you go on YouTube but it, the picture quality is not very good <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah so that, that's one that um, the interesting thing about that goal is that the bloke in goal for Barnsley that day Dave Watson yes there you go. I wouldn't have known that if you it hadn't said indeed. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I reminded him about that when he joined the club. <laughs> so Will and I, weren't we, Will? We were racking our brains trying to think uh, of our favourite Matt Letizier non-famous goal, if you know what I mean. Okay. Before I chat through mine, Will, do you want to give uh, Matt yours and see if Matt can remember it? Yeah, certainly. I mean, to be fair, this is one that I can't remember at the time, being, what, about nine years old at the time. <laughs> but um, a good friend of mine at, um, in my workplace brought it up, and um, I, when I watched the video back on the Saints archive, I actually really liked it. So um, for this one, it was a goal against Aston Villa on the 25th of August, 1990. So Timmy Flowers' long goal uh, kick um, up to, I believe, Paul Rideout, who sort of gave it a bit of a toe poke to you. you know, and sort yeah, of, and I checked inside McGrath. Paul McGrath and slipped it in. Oh, he remembers it. There you go. That's, yeah, that was the opening day of the season. We used to start the seasons a bit later back then. I'm sure that was the, the opening day of the season, yeah. yeah. So I remember, I think we drew one all. My memory served me right. But yeah, that was uh, that was quite a nice one. Yeah, all these goals pre-Premier League, you know, people forget about that there was like <laughs> six years of my career before the Premier League started. Yeah. And there were some nice goals in that six years. I feel bad now because mine's from the Premier League, but uh, yeah, I, I, whitt- <laughs> I, whitt- I whittled it down to three, Matt, because I, uh, I I won't bore everyone that's listening with the story, but I saw you talking the other day about the famous Newcastle two-all game when you thundered that one past Shaka, and uh, um, yeah. there was uh, a typical Saints fan. I got up on 90 minutes with my dad, walked around the back of the uh, Milton <laughs> Road stand just as they all came out saying Madison the score, so we dived back in the East stand, and I managed to see you bang that in, but that that wasn't it. And then the other one was the uh, day we beat uh, United three-one, the grey day when you dinked it over Schmeichel, because we we hardly ever beat Man. United and I just remember as a fan again a bit like uh, Will I think that was 96 as well so as a sort of 14 15 year old we hardly ever beat Man United and that first half was just incredible um, but the yeah. one I went the one I went with was uh, Bolton away on the 27th of April 96 because we all trekked up to Burnham Park of course Saints were very much on the brink of being relegated yeah I remember getting sunburned and of course down the other end from us um, Jimmy Phillips played <laughs> that wonderful pass to you inside it was a beautiful he? pass uh, yeah beautiful it was it was and, uh, right um, in my <laughs> exactly uh, the thing I remember it most for was what a massive three points that was bearing in mind we obviously drew the last game of the season against Wimbledon and just stayed up on goal difference so that was a, a massive goal from you as you know there was quite a few of those yeah yeah no that was a, that was an important win yeah I mean we were obviously in uh, deep trouble at that point uh, and yeah uh, if we hadn't got three points that day I think we probably would have gone down so uh, that was a huge one not, not my most spectacular <laughs> but uh, in terms of importance I would place it right up there with the uh, with the brace at Upton Park on the last day of the two seasons before. 
And looking back at some of the managers you've obviously worked with throughout your career at Saints, Chris Nichols, Ian Bradford, Alan Ball, Dave Merrington, Graham Sooners, yeah. Dave Jones, amongst others. It was a real collection of personalities and characters. We particularly was, yeah. enjoyed your time playing under Alan, but how hard was yeah. it in general for you to adapt for playing different Saints managers when they seem to be changing so regularly? Yeah, that wasn't great uh, looking back. You know, um, there were a few seasons there. Obviously, Bawley was only there for 18 months. And then we had Dave Merrington for a season, Graham Sooners for a season. You kind of do tend to, to chop and change uh, styles and different shapes of team and different managers want you to do different things in different situations. So it does take a little bit of a adapting to it. Sometimes I think the uh, the fans kind of uh, don't realise just what a difference it can be uh, mm. from one manager's way of playing to another. Um, and it does take some time to get to get used to it. And it's just one of those things. You have to adapt. Certain managers' styles will suit you better than others, and you just have to crack on with it and make the best of each situation as it comes along. Mm. I mean, is it fair to say you also thrived on the responsibility you had playing for the Saints, obviously being our hero, the man that was going to keep us up? Did you ever feel the pressure or burden from the supporters on that? No, I actually enjoyed that side of things. Um, you know, as I've said many a time in, in interviews down the years, I, I've always enjoyed being the big fish in the small pond. Mm. Um, you know, and that's not something that I'm frightened to admit. You know, some people might see that as a weakness, but I actually, I just thrived on knowing that people were relying on me. Um, mm. And that tended to kind of bring the best out of me. Some of my best performances were towards the end of seasons when, you know, we were up against it and we needed points to stay up. And um, and I was proud that on those occasions, I didn't let the pressure get the better of me and I was able to perform to the best of my belief. Moving on to some of the players you play with then, um, I know there was a, a lot during your time with Saints, but one I was keen to pick out, um, again from someone that I enjoyed watching you play with, was of course Ronnie Eklund. Um, Ronnie yeah. only played 17 games for Saints in that 94-95 season, but you had him listed in your best ever Saints eleven in your Taking the Tis book, so you know, some accolade for someone that didn't play that many games yeah. for the club, and I know you mentioned in the book that you clicked with him straight away in that first morning training in Holland, so I guess as someone that really enjoyed that partnership between the two of you, I was just going to ask what it was particularly about him that you know made you two play so well together, really. Um, I think it helped that we kind of got on as blokes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had pretty similar laid-back approaches to football and uh, how it should be played. Um, uh, and I think it was just great having somebody like that with that much ability who was able to complement what you were trying to do as well. And he kind of instinctively knew what each other were going to be doing and what they were thinking when the ball was coming. Yeah. Uh, so he was able to, to read each other's play pretty good. And that's a, a huge advantage, you know, when it comes to a match day. If you And that's why I'm a, a big advocate. I'm not a great lover of squad rotation mm. because I, I, I've always been a big believer in partnerships on the pitch and building partnerships and, and if you instinctively know by playing alongside somebody for games and games in a row you instinctively know what they do in certain situations you can read the play better and it gives you an advantage over your opponent mm-hmm. um, and, and I've always been a, a big advocate of having a settled team as opposed to chopping and changing every week yeah look, I know it'll be hard Matt because as I said you, I know you've played with hundreds of players during your career at Saints but if you had to pick one other player from all those years at Saints that you most enjoyed playing with and it wasn't Ronnie who would it be? Uh, I think it would probably be Rodney Wallace mm-hmm. uh, had a really good couple of years uh, before Rod uh, left to go and join Leeds had a really good couple of seasons with him where we played on, on opposite wings to each other uh, with the freedom to, to roam about a little bit um, under Chris Nichol um, and those those seasons there were probably amongst my most enjoyable of my whole career. Um, you know, Paul Ryder, Alan Shearer up front as well. Uh, sometimes one, sometimes both of them. Yeah. 
Um, and it was a real attack-minded team. And I always knew Rodney's pace was such that I could always put a ball in certain areas of the pitch knowing that he was going to be quick enough to go and get there and make my pass look good. Um, and that was a, that was, you know, that was something that was nice to have in your team. Um, and he had such great quality, great feet, and, uh, he was a very good finisher himself. And, uh, the two seasons we played together, I think we got in the 89-90 season, uh, I think we got 47 goals between the two of us. Mm. Um, I finished, uh, that was the year I won the Young Player of the Year. I think Rodney came third in the Young Player of the Year. Yep. Uh, and the following season, I think I got 23 and Rodney got 20. Mm. So it was, um, you know, it was pretty, uh, pretty prolific from two young lads, really, because we were only 20 and 21 at the time. And, you know, if you did that now in the Premier League as a, as a <laughs> 20, 21 year old, my God, you'd be talked about going to Real Madrid for yeah. about 300 million quid. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk in goals. I mean, you've always rated your strike against Blackburn in 94. Obviously, the eventual winner of the goal of the season is your best. And I really yeah. want to know the most important thing of all. Has Tim Flowers ever finally admitted, given up trying to save that shot? <laughs> yes, he has. Oh, he, did, I, he did admit to halfway through his dive thinking, I'm not getting that, I'm, <laughs> I'm not even going to try. <laughs> he went to go and dive for it. And, uh, and it was funny. I didn't really notice after I'd watched it like 300 times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't really notice like halfway through his dive where he, where he just gives up and he's just like, oh, yeah. no, I'm not getting any of that. <laughs> and I think the thing we all remember that is because, of course, Saints lost that game. But yeah, just, I mean, what an amazing goal it was. And, you know, barely celebrated, could you, Matt, because of the situation? No, exactly. We were behind in the game. I was just concerned about getting the ball back and, uh, and trying to get something out of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. And, uh, I mean, obviously we couldn't move on without talking about the... Uh, two goals in the Newcastle 1993 game as well which uh, I know both of those are in your personal top 10 but the famous I guess if you can call it Ian Bramford Sky game but uh, you know when he recalled you <laughs> when he recalled you to the side and you fully justified that with two breathtaking strikes of course both glorious in their different ways but well the goals yeah. were incredible how much of a statement was that match for you personally Matt because of course I think it was the Daily Echo said at the time in terms of Bramford it was one finger for each goal I think they said at the time <laughs> I think that was something that I said at a fans forum yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think looking back, it was actually a big turning point in my career mm. um, because under Branford, I'd kind of been languishing a little bit. My goals output had, had kind of gone right down. Um, you know, I'd, I'd gone from 24, 23 uh, a season. I think I got 18 the first season. He was there and a lot of them were, I think that was the, the season of the ZDS Cup. Yep. And then uh, the following season, I think it had gone down to like 15. So it was, it was a bit of a struggle because we didn't really create a lot of chances in the way that he wanted to play. And it didn't really suit my style of play. So, yeah, it was a, a bit of a struggle. And he left me out the five games previous to that. Um, luckily for me, we hadn't won any of those five games. So it just put yeah. the pressure on him to get me back in the team. Um, and, yeah, it was. It was a big statement and a big turning point uh, in my career because that, that kind of signaled the start of two of the best years of, of my football career, really. Mm. And lastly, to put most perfect of ending on things, Matt, the final competitive game at the Delt and that last minute winner against Arsenal. Now, I know you'd mm. say it always gives you shivers thinking about it. And it's the same way for most Saints fans, and particularly for those lucky enough to have witnessed it firsthand. At the start, we spoke about, obviously, the destiny of your senior debut being against the club you supported, both as a boy and playing against your idol. It may seem obvious saying this now, but do you think it was also destiny that this last competitive goal that was always going to be scored by yourself, even though Chris um, tried to ruin it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did try to ruin it. Um, yeah, it did seem that way. You know, that, uh, a lot of people don't realise as well that that was my only Premier League goal that season. 
Um, you know, they, they kind of forget that I was injured most of the season. I think I scored one goal in the League Cup or something. So it was, uh, it, you know, it was, a, it was a hard season for me injury-wise. But I really appreciate what Stuart Gray did for me that day because he gave me the opportunity to do that. Because really, given my fitness levels and, and everything, I, I didn't really deserve a place on the bench. Um, but he was big enough and brave enough to say to both me and Franny that, you know, for what you've done for the club over these past 15, 16 years, uh, that we both deserve to be on the pitch when the final whistle went. And uh, he told us that on the Tuesday before the game. And every night from there on in, uh, I went to bed and, and the last thought in my mind before I went to sleep, I was thinking about scoring the last goal at the Dell and how I was going to do it. And just real positive reinforcement of, uh, of what was going to happen. And I knew it didn't matter how difficult the chance was. Um, I knew that if I got a chance, I, I knew it was going to go in. It was a really weird feeling because uh, the, the the way that it fell, it wasn't a particularly easy chance. Uh, and I could maybe have another 50 attempts at that and I might not ever put it in that place where it went. Uh, but it was just an odd feeling to know that it, it was a chance for a shot of goal. And I just knew where it was going the minute it left my boot. I knew where it was going and I was off and away. And the adrenaline rush was, was just incredible, you know, so much so that I, uh, James Beatty had, Struggle to keep up with me on my celebration, <laughs> and he was far quicker than me. <laughs> I know. Just just hearing you talking about it now, I mean, weirdly, Matt. Just I mean, I was lucky enough to be there lower west, so you sort of came charging towards us, and Mitchell would have been stood yeah. above us. But I mean, even That's hearing right, you talk yeah. about it now gives us goosebumps, to be honest with you. No, me too. I still get a bit emotional about it, even though it's 19 years later. Yeah, I know. But uh, look, just before we come on to, we got three or four questions from some of our listeners and the, the Saints archives, Matt. Just to finish, but moving forward to the the present day, of course, we see you week in, week out soccer Saturday mainly sticking up for Saints so of course we were all very much behind your rant about the Anfield penalty at the weekend so well done for that um, but uh, you know other, other than that playing your golf and of course you know we're very lucky to have you as a club ambassador now um, podcasts are all the rage at the moment everyone seems to be doing them but you've been doing the pod with Ricky and Franny and some of the others so I was just going to ask how much fun it's been for you doing that on the side you know putting it all together and chatting through a, a sort of variety of career related stories and anecdotes I guess yeah, I've enjoyed it actually. Um, they've, they've been good fun to do, and Ricky's a, a really top bloke. You know, mm. I've got on so well with him. We, we've got to know each other quite well. We, you know, we went out to Macau with the club pre-season together, uh, and we spent a lot of time over those six days in each other's company and, and got to know each other pretty well and uh, and got on like a house on fire. Really, yeah. it, it was really really good because obviously, uh, being a Saints fan, I have the the same adulation for him as, as everyone else does because yeah. of what he did dragging us up from uh, from League One back into the Premier League and um, no, it was just nice to know that he was a really down to earth normal human being not too big for his boots and uh, and we get on great so it's just a shame actually they've kind of dried up a little bit and uh, I'm not sure the club are going to carry on with them Okay, um, we're lucky enough both myself and Ben to have both good listeners and in the archives and many members obviously we do like to put the questions back to them occasionally uh, so well few questions from a few Saints Archive members. One of them is Stuart Hayter. So he's asked, if you could have any of the current team playing with him, who would it be and why? Ah, that's a good question. Um, I, I would probably say at this moment in time, uh, it would be Danny Ings. I think a very intelligent footballer, um, a very, very good finisher, and his uh, his attitude towards the game seems absolutely spot on. And, uh, I think he would be a pretty cool guy for me to slip passes through to. Yeah, you know, to add to that, I think having done the centre circle flag on the, the weekend, his attitude towards supporters as well was really good. I found he came up, and greeted us, and thanked us for being there. So he, he gets yeah. it. Mm. No, he comes across a really good guy. When I first got asked that question, James Ward Prowse came into my head, uh, and then I realised that if if he was in the team, then obviously I wouldn't have gotten free kicks that often. So. <laughs> 
Sorry, James, I have to bin you because of that. I wanted the free kicks. <laughs> <laughs> OK, and, uh, Paul Fellingham wants to know, uh, when you were taking corner kicks, were you deliberately trying to uh, score from them? It certainly looked like it to him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was quite a few times. Obviously, a lot depends on the situation of the game. But, yeah, certainly when the the in-swinging corners from the left-hand side, um, I would definitely be hitting the ball with a pace, knowing that it was going to go on target and knowing that you know if everybody missed it the goalkeeper might be deceived it might go in it might take the smallest of touches and, and nick in as it did when we were at Wimbledon away on the Delhurst Park day you know, when one of the defenders just got a slight touch on it which diverted it in um, you know I scored direct from one at the Dell so yeah it was um, definitely a ploy that's for sure yeah I was shooting I used to do it at school you see I used, to, I used to always shoot I scored loads of goals from corners when I was at school <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. And uh, as mentioned, we've got a couple of questions from our TSP patrons as well, Matt. So Stuart Whitman has asked, please, can you ask Matt who his favourite and least favourite referees were and why? I did my research, Matt. So I think looking back in your book, you'd listed Roger Milford as your worst referee and Paul Durkin as the best. So <laughs> what was it about those two that you sort of liked and disliked? Well, Roger um, loved himself quite a lot. And uh, I think obviously anybody that remembers the Oldham League Cup game when he added on seven extra minutes. Uh, to enable them to equalise, mm. uh, and, and I mean this is before actual stoppage time became a thing. Yeah, and uh, for seven minutes to be added to a game in 1990 was just unheard of. Mm. Uh, and Oldham equalising that time in the quarter final, and then beat us in the replay on their plastic pitch. So he was never my favourite from that moment onwards. Um, we never quite found out where that seven minutes came <laughs> from. Um, uh, and Paul Durkin was one of the few refs you could have a laugh with on the pitch and give him a little bit of stick and he'd give you a bit back yeah. um, and I think there's uh, there's not enough of that although you know you've got somebody like uh, um, oh, who was it that moaned about the ref giving him a bowl Dan Gosling, Dan Gosling. Yeah, yeah. moaning about the ref giving him a bit of stick and I just thought you've just made yourself look an absolute idiot there yeah. you really have yeah. um, if you're going to give the ref a bit of jip accept it back take it like a man move on um, and that's why I had with Paul just briefly adding on to that question, Matt, um, conscious of your position with Sky and all that sort of thing, but I know you're very much behind VAR and all that sort of thing at the moment, but just in terms of the Premier League referee group at the moment, is there one particular ref that stands out for you that you enjoy watching at the moment? Um, I don't think at the moment it's a great bunch, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. I think the standard has declined um, and you know it wasn't great to start with. Um, and I'm, I've been a, a bit disappointed this season with some of the decisions that have been made, even with the benefit of looking at a video replay, which mm. is just some of them are just incomprehensible. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I've been an advocate of VAR, but most of it is, is the offside law, I think, is where it's the most beneficial. The subjectivity calls are always going to be slightly controversial, but there are some that just 99% of people, when they look at it, will go, yeah, that's a red card. Mm. And yet, for some reason, the referee has looked at it and gone, no, I'm going to be in the 1% of people and go, that's not a red card. And yeah. we just think, don't be a donut. And just <laughs> do your job properly. And yeah, it, it's frustrating from that side of things. I don't mind goals getting chalked off for being a little bit offside because at the end of the day, if you're offside, you're offside. It doesn't really matter how much you're offside by. Mm. Um, and people will go, oh yeah, but frame rates and you know, you don't know if it's particularly accurate. I'll tell you what is accurate is that it's the same for every team in the league, the way that the technology is uh, implemented. Mm. Um, and so on the, on the offsides and the offsides alone, it is the same for everybody. And it's a lot fairer than the system we had before where linesmen would be 
inclined to give decisions uh, to home sides, to big teams because of pressure from the crowd behind them, yep. pressure from managers. And so on the offside, it takes all of that out of the equation. Mm. That's why I'm so in favour. Uh, and if you if you remember a year ago, I said, and I was saying it for a long time on Sky, that the first season VAR comes in, it should only be used for offside. Mm. They should have bought it in gradually, one bit at a time, gained people's confidence with it, uh, and then gradually increase its use but they didn't they, they tried to run before they could walk in my opinion and that's been the biggest downfall of VAR. Moving on there was a question from uh, Jean-Pierre in Jersey Matt so uh, I've categorised it under light-hearted and tongue-in-cheek banter so I hope that's okay because um, <laughs> you can imagine where this is going to go so JP says <laughs> hi Matt would you ever consider becoming an ambassador for the Jersey Bulls as with your help it would be nice for one of the islands to have a decent football club? <laughs> The question might be relevant as and when Jersey can get themselves up to the level that Guernsey are playing at. <laughs> there we go. We'll leave it there, I think. So um, <laughs> the, the final TSP um, patrons question is from Jamie Pragnall. I think probably, Matt, it feels like a, a very suitable one to finish on. So it's regarding your time with Borley, really. So what he said yeah. is, um, Jamie says, did you ever imagine when Alan Ball walked through the door on that first day that he would have such a massive influence on your career right from that well-documented first training session where he placed you in the middle of the pitch and told everyone, just give the ball to Matt? Um, well, to be honest, when he first walked through the door, I, I had high hopes because this was a bloke who was not only a, a fantastic footballer in his own right, but he'd won the World Cup. He played for England 72 times. Mm. Um, and this was somebody who just kind of had my immediate respect the second he walked in the door. And then for, for him to then say that about me, and recognise that I was our best opportunity, I was our best player, and that everyone needed to give the ball to me as often as they possibly could. That was just an incredible moment for me and a massive, massive boost to, to what, I mean, my confidence wasn't too bad most of the time. Um, but to hear that from somebody that good was just amazing. And that's why you got the results that you got, where that 18-month period on the border was just the best of my career by, by a million miles, really. The football that I was playing then was kind of on a different level to what I'd I played the, the rest of my career and it was all down to the manager having a bit of belief in me and um, and it was just amazing times. I'm the concerned at the time here, Matt. We're going to let you go on that one, but we really do appreciate no everything for tonight. That's quite all right. Say, uh, it's nice to have the opportunity to personally say thanks for everything you've done and still do for the club and I really do thank you for joining us. My pleasure, boys. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate it. Cheers. All the best. That's been Total Recall with the Southampton legend, Matthew Letizia. Sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk Once again, a massive, massive thanks to Matt for coming on the pod with Will and I. It was a real honour to talk with him. Okay, to wrap up this week's podcast, previewing the visit of Steve Brees' Magpies to St Mary's. Um, Lucy, due to your sort of indirect attachment with Newcastle United, I feel obliged to come to you first on this. Your summary of them this season? Uh, Dull. Badly spent the money. Mm. Uh, £40 on Linton looks, frankly, ridiculous. Um, Hattrick on Saturday. I was going to say we'll remind you of that next weekend, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I'm putting there. There will. I don't think. It, no, he won't score. Uh, how many is he on? Two, three. Yeah, something like that. He scored at that's Oxford. That's about the only one I remember. Mo, yeah, mo, most of them are coming against League One opposition in the yeah. FA Cup. Yeah. So, um, no. To be fair to him, actually, I think he's being brought to a job that he's not really designed to do. But anyway, we'll carry on. No, they're dull. That I don't like Steve Bruce. 
Um, I mean, I, I th- he seemed quite a nice guy, but he's clearly an incompetent manager. And um, yeah, I think it's been pretty awful for Tom as a Newcastle fan to watch, to mm. be quite frank. Pretty disillusioned. Six hours without a goal now, I saw. Yes. Which you can remind uh, me of that next weekend as well. God. <laughs> uh, yes. So really, really very terrible. I mean, for all of the ranting and whining I might have done about Saints, they have at least maintained a certain degree of entertainment value, whereas Newcastle don't have one, to be quite frank. I feel like I'm being quite harsh, but they are really very terrible. Mm. Um, the only thing I will say for them is that they do know how to defend, or actually they have a goalkeeper that knows how to save. Yeah. I don't know which one that is. Um, thinking about what happened to us at the weekend, we, we probably could have done with Dubravka. But no, I don't have a lot to say that's very positive, so shall we move on? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was uh, having a conversation with someone yesterday who was reminding me that Saints pay the best part of 150 to 200 grand a week, you know, give or take on goalkeepers, and we're still struggling, aren't we? But uh, there we go. Um, Glenn, of course, they got the better of us in December, um, albeit on another day, Saints would and probably should have won uh, based on the, the chances. But since then, they've played 12, they've won two, drawn four, and lost six. They've scored seven and conceded 18 in a currently two points behind Saints so goals and sort of entertainment aside they're a fairly hard side to predict because you just don't know what's going to turn up do you? Yeah I, there was a point just after the start of the season where I thought actually they don't look too bad they had Almiron started contributing and Sam Maximan looked very sort of like interesting on the uh, on the left wing they got John Joe Shelby playing well as well and I you know I thought well they're, they're not too bad but they've they've got the cutting edge of a spoon haven't they basically with um <laughs> Joe Linton up front. I, I don't know. Is is our old nemesis Andy Carroll fit? No, no, no. I, no, 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 I assume so. He never is, is he? No, he never is. But he's obviously a problem if he plays against us. But you know, and he was the difference when he came on as a substitute um, against us up there, which is you know is the reason we uh, we got turned over in the end. Mm. But um, they are an odd side. They've never really looked in any danger of getting relegated. But this year, I mean, there are six teams at the moment down the bottom and kind of Newcastle are next. Yeah. So if they, if they carry on the way they are, then, you know, they could fall into trouble. But having been on a bad run, they are going to be looking at our home record and they are going to be targeting this game as one they can win. So uh, it's up to us to, uh, to make sure that we start the game properly. Um, getting the first goal is going to be huge in this game because mm-hmm. if we let in the first goal, like we tend to do, then uh, we could be in for a long old afternoon. But yeah. um, get the first goal and we should be okay. And I, and I guess, Glenn, just sort of thinking about Steve Bruce, you know, he's a, Ralph's obviously spoken a lot about learning and learning from his mistakes, as Steve said earlier, and things like that, whether we're doing it or not, you know, is another question. But Steve Bruce, a very experienced manager, you know he's going to have the DVDs out this week watching the game against West Ham, their game against us last time. You know what to expect from them. They're, they're going to lump it forward as well. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. I mean, Steve Bruce gets a bad press. I think part of that is down to his voice <laughs> and down to his down to his Manchester United connections. I don't think people are willing to sort of like give him a chance. I don't think he's actually that bad. I'd rather have him than David Moyes, you know, oh, put yeah. it that way. Or Stephen McLaren um, or something that they yeah, yeah. And, you know, I can't he, agree on this Bruce thing. He just, he tried to implement his own tactics, which went appallingly. So he's just gone back to what Rafa does, but he does it only worse. Only more boringly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, the he, thing that I he, thought was cool about him this week is that he said that they'd obviously banned uh, handshakes, you know, in light of the coronavirus, which we should mention the coronavirus on the pod because it's not been on yet. The cool thing that he said was they were doing fist bumps instead. So I just had a view of Steve Bruce just doing fist bumps with everyone. Old people doing fist bumps and young people things is yeah, it's, it's always a little Print. bit. Always a little bit cringe. There's going to be like it? those sort of Sarko Crystal Palace videos where he's like Steve Bruce is walking into the restaurant doing different handshakes with all the different players. 
I can't believe Steve Bruce does anything other than eat. Looking at him, <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he, he does he does look a mess. I mean, he's fifty nine. I mean, yeah. if I look like him when I'm fifty nine, I'm I'm really, which is not too far away. I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not actually going to be too happy about yeah. it. But yeah. yeah, he will have a plan against us, and it's a, yet another opportunity for us to work yeah. out how to play against a defence that sits deep and how to defend against long balls up to a big striker. Um, And we haven't answered the questions yet, so Mm. it it will be uh, an interesting test. And if they weren't going to play like that, they certainly are after West Ham, aren't they? Totally, totally. I saw some interesting stats, Steve, yesterday ahead of their Burnley game. Uh, This is Newcastle, 20th for goals, 20th for shots, 20th for shots inside the box, 20th for open play goals, 20th for XG, which means nothing to me, but I know it does to you and Lucy. 20th for XG open play, which again means nothing to me, but I know it does to you and Lucy. 20th for corners, 20th for possession, 19th for three balls, and 18th for crosses, Steve. Alongside all of that, their uh, record at St Mary's and the Saints in general isn't great. So from a Saints point of view, let's try and be positive. You know, We need to go out there, show the same sort of intensity that we did against Villa, and if we do, to Bravska aside, which I agree with Lucy, he's an excellent goalkeeper, we are going to get chances yeah I mean they are while kind of a lot's been made about the fact that they win games as a result of defending kind of in numbers and then one of their centre-backs scores from a corner in the last five minutes they do love a centre-back corner that um, thinking that Everton away game oh. yeah and oh, yeah, Lejeune, yeah yeah but they um they do give up a lot of chances mm. um I mean, as you mentioned, their XG numbers are absolutely ridiculous. I'll take your word for it. In, yeah, in terms of they should be conceding a lot more goals than they do. Mm. Um, the number the number that they score is kind of about right for the number of chances they create, but they should be conceding a lot more goals than they do from the chances that get created. So mm. teams obviously don't have a, too many difficulties creating chances. Yep. It's a case of finishing them. So I think the main difference defensively between Newcastle and Villa is that... Newcastle got a goalkeeper Mm. Um, and I mean arguably defenders who kind of throw throw their bodies on the line whereas Villa are just absolutely useless Mm. um, from a defensive perspective Um, so I think we will get chances and it will be a case of actually putting away the chances that we should do this time because I mean that's that's been our problem for a lot of the season I mean even Ings even though he's got 15 goals this season some of the chances he's missed could well, those conversion rate's quite good, isn't it? It's 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 good, but but most of the chances that we create for him are really really good chances. Um, so he's still missing quite a few of them. I think his yeah, I think his conversion rate is about fifty percent, which is which is very good. But the quality of chances that we're creating, particularly for him, are probably a lot higher than than say someone like. Or Bamiyang, who's who I think is the only one who's got a better conversion rate. He gets a lot of sort of half chances where he he has to do a little bit of work. Mm. Um, Ings, I think, just needs to get back to that sort of clinical edge that he that he had. I don't know what six weeks ago. I still think that scoring 15 Premier League goals on this side is the uh, equivalent of about 30, though, Steve. So uh, we'll give oh, him yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, credit. But, uh, but yeah, actually, actually yeah. we're. In terms of scoring, we're not too bad. I think no. we've. I think we're 11th in terms of goals scored this season. Mm. So we're not doing dreadfully in front of goal when it's the other end isn't it yep, yep, yeah totally so yeah and, and Lucy look, obviously we're recording this almost a week before the game so we don't know whether Gineppo is going to be back obviously we know he's travelled back to uh, Marley I think I saw on his Instagram yeah understandably so so quite right football takes a back seat compared to families we don't know if he'll be back you'd imagine again KWP may be in it right back and they may move Prowse into midfield but that aside do you see sort of many other changes or do you think he'll say to that 11 get out there and show me what you couldn't do last week I assume we'll see Ings back, assuming, because he, he was back him, yes. in the training on Friday. So yes. I, I assume he'll be back. 
yeah, and then I think we're looking at quite a similar eleven to what we've played, apart from obviously the Redmond um, absence. Mm. I don't think he'll rip up the team and start again. It was a bad performance, but I I think he would say that based on you know the previous fifteen or whatever that those should be the players that go out and sort it out. And quite rightly, I, I don't think we should panic and start ripping the team up. And quite rightly, it took a long time to find that team in the first place. So, you know, I'm not sure we necessarily have many better options around anyway. As bad as McCarthy was, I don't think there's much to be gained from changing goalkeepers either. I think there was a lot of discussion on Twitter about that, whether, you know, he'd lost his place. I don't think we're, we're at that point either, um, especially given the understanding that Bednarek, Stevens and, and him have got together. So, I yeah, I think we'll see the similar similar team we've seen to recent weeks. Um, and you would think that that should be enough to get a result, I would think. Yeah. And Glenn, let's just finally then, before we do our predictions, Ralph's obviously spoken a lot over the last few weeks about getting to 36 points and the various uh, sort of celebrations and contracts and whatever else that will come with that. But it still, I think, as we've discussed, probably won't be enough to automatically keep us up. But if we win this game, that will take us beyond the 36 points uh, mark. So how much of a motivator and sort of um, challenge can that be for Saints to try and get to that threshold and then sort of move on from there? Well, it should be a motivation. Um, you know, it, do, you, do you think it's become a distraction almost or not? No, not really. I, I think a couple of our recent performances have, you know, we've kind of seen the finishing line in sight, if you like, yeah. and then and then thought, oh, well, you know, it, seemed, it almost seems like we thought, oh, well, we'll do it next week, mm. you know, or we'll do it the week after. Um, we, very us. We, we need, yeah, we need to get there, and the whole focus this week needs to be about stressing how important that is and this is a very very winnable game um it's probably the most winnable game that we've got left i'd have, I'd have said without checking the fixture list so yep. they're not a great side it should be a motivation to the players um you know someone like shane long who is you know rumor has it he's going to be offered a new contract mm. he will want that in the back pocket as soon as possible because if we fall down again towards the relegation zone maybe things can change. Um, I, I think the club needs to be planning for next season as soon as possible yeah. um, because we, we always take an age to do anything um, and it would be nice to, to have it all sorted. Or, Although or we still least... don't have this head of player trading in yet, do we? No, we still don't have a head of player trading, but obviously you can't start that. I mean, I'm hearing sort of rumours that things are in place. You keep seeing us on the, the list of scouts that have been seen around various European games and whatnot. And mm. so you know that someone's something... spending a lot of time in Braga at the moment. Yeah, they are. Portugal. Yeah, mm. yeah. must be the yeah, weather. So, yeah, they, they, there's stuff going on and you, you just want it confirmed as soon as possible. So yeah. hopefully the players have got that and uh, they take that into the game against Newcastle. Cool. All right. Well, let's get some uh, predictions then. Let's go with you then first, Steve. You can set the tone for Newcastle at home. What do you reckon in terms of predictions? Nil nil. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just we're going to keep a clean sheet. Well, yeah, because they're basically not going to be all that bothered about getting out of their half. I think Newcastle are going to look at the table. I think their their running is relatively kind. Mm. Yes, um, it is. They're not going to be in a situation where, like West Ham were yesterday, where they're looking at their fixture list and thinking. We've got a load of horrendous games coming up. This is yeah. this is the one that we've got to win. We've mm. got to target this. I think Newcastle will, will be more than happy to, to get in and get out with a dreadful nil-nil draw, just like they did yesterday. Yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, Lucy, I, I did give you the heads up. Where, of course, Tom came on last time. I think he said, what was it, two all? It's going to be, I think, something like that. So, uh, obviously, for those that don't listen regularly, uh, Lucy's husband is a Newcastle fan. His name is Tom Hynett. So, uh, what has Tom gone for? 
Well, he said to me that he would love to maintain some kind of bravado and say that he felt that they were going to win. But unfortunately, he couldn't find any way that they were. And so he went for a 2-0 Saints win. The reverse jinx attempt. Yeah, exactly. So man man after my own No, actually, I genuinely does think it was. All right. Cool. And what about you? you, Are you any different to that? I'm going to go for a 1-0 Saints win. I don't think there'll be a lot of action in the game, to be quite frank. Cool. Oh, yeah. Good. All right. That's good. Uh, Glenn. Same as Lucy. One nil to Saints. Yeah. Yeah. One nil. Um, yeah. I've got no no more to say other than that. Really, it'll yeah. be a, it'll be a tight game, and hopefully we will sneak it. Yeah. Well, we'd certainly take that, wouldn't we? Um, I don't want to be too optimistic, obviously, but I oh, even even me can't see Newcastle winning this game, which you can remind me of that next weekend as well. Um, but knowing how we defend in these sort of games, I can't see us keeping a clean sheet. They'll probably break their six-hour streak. So I'm going to go for a one-all draw, which, based on the last two one-all draws, is not a good omen. So I apologise in advance. Thanks to all of you for listening to this week's Total Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please do give us a follow on Facebook or Twitter. Just search for Total Saints pod. Obviously, you can find our previous 103 episodes if you'd like to listen to them as well. Likewise, you can support the podcast via Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Again, just search for Total Saints podcast and follow the instructions. All support is very welcome. Thanks to the chats for their time and views on this episode. Also to Will, Robbie, and of course, Matthew Letizia. There feels like only one suitable way to finish this podcast episode. So until next time, keep marching in. Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. 
Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.